0: we're live. Welcome to Revolutionary Health, the show that focuses on Black gay men's health and wellness, our very last show of 2020. So thank you so much for joining me, your host, Michael Ward, and our very special guest that I have upcoming, Lama Rod Owens. But first, want to make sure that you follow all of our social media at CNP Tribe on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. As well, make sure that you ask us questions and interact and comment while we have this special place because we want you as well to take part in this conversation about self-care and healing. So very excited. Um, Upcoming for the show, I've got Lama Rad Owens, who is a Buddhist minister, author, activist, yoga instructor, and authorized Lama or Buddhist teacher in the Kagyu School of Tibetan Buddhism and is considered one of the leaders of his generation of Buddhist teachers. He holds a Master of Divinity degree in Buddhist studies from Harvard Divinity School and is co-author of Radical Dharma, talking race, love, and liberation. And his most recent book is Love and Rage. Right here, people. The path of liberation through anger, which will resonate with anyone who wants to metabolize or harness their anger for transformation and change. So without further ado, let's welcome Lama Rod Owens to Revolutionary Health.
1: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us. As I said before we started the show, this is a very important conversation for us Mm -hmm. to close out the year. With everything that's going on, the pandemic, a lot of new emotions we're faced. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of us are in solitude and trying to just figure all of this out. So I think this is a great conversation uh, for Mm -hmm. us to end the year. So thank you again for, for being here and joining me. Absolutely. So I'll start by asking you one of the most loaded questions this entire year for anyone to ask, Mm -hmm. Uh, but how are you presently in -hmm. this
1: moment? Yeah, you know, I I would have to say I'm just, like, fucking exhausted, really. Um, I was just, uh, you know, communicating uh, with a friend, you know, over text today, just about, you know... How just like I'm just tired I and mean, like I just like need a break <laughs> you know um and that this year has just felt has felt very grueling for me, you know that I, for all of us, you know um but so much of of my experience of this too is is being able to hold it as well like I just feel as if. If my ancestors survived centuries of, you know, slavery, systematic racism, then I can survive this year, you know, and probably next year as well. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Yes, and that's something definitely that I want to touch on. Mm-hmm. Um, of bringing in the conversation of our ancestors and using them to stand on their shoulders as well. Mm-hmm. But I wanna make sure that we do get into your book. As you see, I have so, mm-hmm. many, so many notes and I hope that I can uh, touch on everything as we give people these tools. Mm-hmm. But we love talking about narratives here. And I think it's mm-hmm. very interesting with your story because mm-hmm. um, as I've said, you know, sometimes we don't always show up as we are right now. So yeah. I think it's important that people know where you're coming from in the world as well. Um, that you're from. So can you just educate the people a little bit about your journey into where you are right now?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm originally from Rome, Georgia, which is about an hour and a half north of Atlanta. Um, And I just, in the past three weeks, just relocated back to Atlanta um, from Boston. Um, But... (laughs) (laughs) how I got to Boston began in Rome, Georgia, you know, and I grew up with my mother. My mother was um, and is still um, a United Methodist minister. You know, so she's a Methodist minister. So I kind of grew up in the church. You know, my grandfather was a minister, a Baptist minister. So I come from a line of ministers and it was expected, I think, that I would actually join the ministry, you know, and I remember my mother saying once how she hoped that I would do that. But she wasn't specific as to which religion or spiritual path. <laughs> you know? So she ended up getting Buddhism instead of Christianity um, as uh, the path that I became a clergy person in. Um, but growing up in Rome, I I just, you know, I just never felt like I was a part of the culture. I didn't see myself reflected um, in the culture. Um, and I am grateful for books, you know, because I grew up before the internet became a thing you know so I am grateful for books I'm grateful for you know um, really black radical queer writers who began to show me that there was a different world outside of what I was being raised in you know and these writers introduced me to, to issues of justice and community um, and I knew early on that my work would be about, supporting communities, right? And then, and being on the side of justice and accountability, you know? And really trying to help people, you know, get the resources that they needed, you know? Because I also felt like I didn't have the resources that I needed growing up, right? And so I wanted to be an agent of, of you know, just to be an agent of change in the world, you know? And so, you know, I ended up going to college up in Rome, which is Berry College. Um, that's when I met um, the founder of CNP, um, Charles Stevens. Um, we met as college students at an activist organizing conference up in somewhere up in the Midwest, I forget where it was, you know? Um, and after my graduation, I moved to Boston where I joined an activist community um, called Haley House. And that just really opened the door for me. You know, that's where I stepped into the work of activism, of change-making. That's where I started to really get interested in what a spiritual practice looked like that was also centered in justice. Um, And then, you know, I started really having to confront my mental health. You know, I was in my early twenties then and I was really struggling with severe depression, you know. So all of that really directed me towards meditation. Actually, you know, I started meditating, I started getting involved in Buddhism. Before you knew it, I was, you know, joining a monastery and um, with the intentions of training to be a Buddhist teacher in the Tibetan tradition of Buddhism. You know, there are many traditions of Buddhism, you know, so I chose the Tibetan tradition, which I felt was really closely related to the practices of my ancestors. You know, and I'm talking about deity worship and, and, and rituals and ceremonies related to land and to the elements. You know, um, I was really moved by that. You know? um, and so that's what I did. You know, I started training. That training was three and a half years of retreats. Um, I had never heard of black people doing anything like this. Um, I was the first black person that I knew who'd done this. I was consequently therefore the first black person in my family <laughs> had ever known to have done something like this. And therefore they thought I was joining a cult. No. You know, and, and in many ways it was a cult. You know, absolutely I was joining a cult. But for me, that experience was transformative and liberatory, you know. And it helped me to to enter into this experience of authenticity. You know, where I was able to finally, for the first time in my life, get this spaciousness around all this intersectionality that was happening. You know, being Black, you know, and queer and fat and poor, you know, and radical, right? You know, all that, all these things coming together, I finally got tools and practices that helped me to be in relationship, um, with relationship interse- with, with my own intersectionality. You know, so that's how I got here. <laughs> and then after that, I just started running my mouth and talking shit. And, you know, and then books started coming out from, you know, from all that shit talking. And and here you have it. This is what you have now. <laughs>
0: yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, um, giving us a little bit of backstory. Because like I said, I think the way that you talk about it and describe yourself is this mm-hmm. really lovingly way in the mm-hmm. book that I really love, and this quote that you have as well that says, mm-hmm. we can't heal what we don't acknowledge, mm-hmm. but acknowledgement can be painful and takes work. So we need effective tools and space and safe spaces where all feel welcome. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to touch on mm-hmm. that a little bit about those tools, but as you said, with the ancestors, because mm-hmm. in coming into Love and Rage, um, you talk about using this, this anger that we feel. And mm-hmm. I think a lot this year as well for myself and a lot included, especially mm-hmm and advocates and people with the Black Lives Matter movement at many different intersections, right? Mm -hmm. We feel this anger that it took Mm -hmm. a global pandemic to slow the world down, to put everyone at a standstill and us to finally sort of kind of get a little bit of a spotlight on police killing Black people, traumatizing us with this. And so there is a rage. We saw the anger, the rage in the streets of people taking. Mm -hmm. And so we want to use this collective anger that we feel to to fuel us into um, a liberation and getting to that path. So can you offer just Mm -hmm. some tools and how we can um, Mm do that as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me and my work, for me to talk about anger, I have to also talk about the woundedness, the hurts, or the trauma, Um, In love and rage, I call it um, brokenheartedness, you know? And I think that for a lot of Black folks, we can experience the brokenheartedness, but we don't know how to talk about it, you know? um, Because we get swept up in the anger, you know? And for me, anger arises from this basic brokenheartedness. You know? And so when we start reacting to anger, we actually are wasting anger. You know, But what I'm trying to advocate for, which has been the root of my practice, is actually learning how to, to be in power with anger. So I'm not just habitually responding to anger when I feel it, I'm actually, I have some spaciousness around that anger where I'm actually making choices on how to channel that energy. I can only do that if I'm taking care. Of the woundedness, the heartbrokenness, right? And one of the main tools for me is the tool of of mourning. You know, I have to like, I have to touch into that into that brokenheartedness. I have to allow it. I have to experience it, right? And I have to channel it through my experience. You know, as well, I have to let myself mourn, right? And if I have that agency to let myself mourn, then it's less likely that I will be consumed or overwhelmed by that brokenheartedness, you know? And I think that what we're afraid of often is being consumed, overwhelmed by it. You know, a lot of people come to me and they're like, you know, I can't, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't get anywhere near, the, near this because it's so much, you know, but what I understand from my practice and, in Buddhism, which is really a study of the mind, right? is that nothing can overwhelm the mind. You know, that even, even more precisely that heartbrokenness or trauma or sadness or sorrow, however we're naming this experience for ourselves, is actually an expression of the mind itself, right? And so in my practice, I'm trying to understand the nature of an emotion as simply being an expression of my mind in general, right? You know, and if I can get there, if I can have that experience, that, that's liberation. You know, it doesn't mean it, it disappears. Like, I'm not saying that like sorrow and despair, brokenheartedness, trauma, all that disappears or even anger. I'm saying that you finally get what it is. And so you disrupt this compulsory relationship that we have with our emotionality mm. or our our, emo- our emotional selves, you know? Yeah. And then that's when you get effective.
0: Yeah, and I think as well too, with a lot of the movement of feeling that anger and channeling yeah into uh, positive ways and things like that. But one of the things too, I wanna ask is, especially with a lot of, uh, and I hate the stereotype of black men not being vulnerable or we're not open, but that's been my experience of learning and unlearning a lot to make myself open and vulnerable. And one of the things that I encountered as well this year uh, that I felt really, that I really grappled with was naming my emotions. So I know, in, in your book, you do it um, really well where you're like, this is anger, this is rage, this is the broken heart, it's just the woundedness. But where where do people begin to name those emotions? Because I think um, even with myself, I was like, what is this that I feel? I've never felt it before. This is foreign to me. And if I don't know how to name it, like, how can I begin that work of, of healing it?
1: Yeah. You know, naming is, for me, a revolutionary act in terms of our personal, interpersonal development, right, you know? I think for, for men, for cisgender men, for trans men, for masculine performing people, I think patriarchy um, has conditioned us to be extremely rigid and binary, you know? So the opposite of fluid and complex, you know? Um, and so when we start naming things, we start actually naming the complexities, that we're experiencing, right? And that begins to break up the rigidity. You know, you start getting real fluid, you start getting real adaptive, right? And the, the 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 lines, the categories, the boundaries begin to get blurred, right? And that's when we start disrupting systems like patriarchy, like when we start blurring the lines. And for me, that's queerness. It's blurring all the lines, you know, seeing the, the connect, Seeing the interdependency, the the interrelatedness of everything, you know. So when we started talking about emotions, you know, it's emotions are both mental experiences and physical experiences, right? You know, so I may not feel anger like a lot of people don't don't feel anger as a mental experience; they feel it as a physical experience. So what you're having to do is name that physical experience, you know, and that's different for everyone. You know, but what we're trying to do, particularly in the practices that I offer in the book, I'm trying to give you this like this lens and a set of tools so you can figure out how anger shows up for you. Because if you can see how it shows up, then you can do this really important revolutionary work of naming it and then choosing to do something different in relationship to it. Mm-hmm. You know?
0: Yes. And when it comes to patriarchy too, one of the yeah. things um, like you say, of all of these different intersections and all of these things and naming your emotions and showing and that acceptance piece of, of accepting you. And I, and I wanna to touch on that a little bit as you um, talked about in the book, but um, if you're just joining us, I'm sitting with Lama Rod Owens, the author of Love and Rage. So make sure you comment, ask us questions as well while we have him here uh, with self-care and healing. Um, but your journey to acceptance uh, with queerness, of realizing mm-hmm. some of that woundedness, that trauma that you had, that mm-hmm. I identified with. Because in my own personal journey, it mm-hmm. was first having to say it out loud to myself that yeah. I, I like men, you know, and accepting that within myself, and then that outwardly expression of for the first time saying that. And oh my God, like this finally came. And what are people mm-hmm. going to to think about me? Yeah. So I think. Um, one of the questions um, that I had is especially with community and acceptance of of queerness when it comes to Black gay men in these times, especially mm-hmm. with acceptance um, in relationships, how can we be softer and hold space for one another?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, <laughs> I, you know I, I like to talk about self-love all the time, and I, I feel weird talking about it because I know it's a cliche. I know this whole idea around self-love is like this whole big cliche. Um, but for me, self-love has really been about self-acceptance. And when I say self-acceptance, I mean that like I am trying to do this incredible work of allowing my whole self to show up, including the shame as well as the joy, you know, as well. And so the shame, the the, the discomfort, the suffering is what I've had to focus on. Like, how do I, again, as we were, you know, talking about just a few minutes ago, how do I touch into that discomfort, that sadness, that shame, that brokenheartedness, you know, that I am not what the world expected me to be, you know? That deep disappointments, actually, that many of us carry around and we think, well, that's my work to hold on to that disappointment. It's actually not our work. To hold on to the onto on that disappointment, but many of us hold on to it. We bury it deep in our bodies, bury it deep in our minds, it becomes trauma, and that's that's what that's what we start reacting to over and over again. And our reactivity to that trauma actually begins to create culture. It begins to create behavior. It begins to create thought patterns. It begins to create relationships. You know, so a lot of the relationships, specifically that black gay men and black queer men. Are trying to initiate are based upon the struggle to be in a relationship, you know, to that original trauma of disappointment, you know, of not being what the world says we should be, and you have to. One of the things I also say is that you have to love everything, you know. And when I say loving that shame, that that disappointment, what I'm actually saying is that we have to, we have to allow it to be there you know and when you allow something to be there then you can enter into the second step which is experiencing it and experiencing is really the overall like liberatory piece of all the work that i do like you have to experience everything like i can't keep pushing things aside and pushing things away and just thinking that that's the practice, that's how I'm gonna get free. Like for me to get free, everything has to be experienced, everything has to be tasted, right? You know, and I have to be in relationship to everything. You know, that's love. Ultimately, that is the work of self-love, is experiencing everything, allowing everything to be there. And within that experiencing everything, then there's a sense of space that arises. And that space means I get choice. Like, I don't have to react to something because I've done this work to create spaciousness. You know, so I can just see it and say, oh, there's a the shame. Oh yeah, there's the trauma. You know, and I can just experience it, but I, I'm not reacting to it. I don't have to react to it. I don't have to create more violence and harm for myself or for others around me. I just experience it and that that's the piece. You know, that's how patriarchy continues for us because we don't know how to experience. This deep discomfort, because to experience it means that we begin to reveal the system as it is. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, have to face it.
1: You have to face it. Yeah, you know. And I I see so many of us, and I, you know, and I'm still included in this because I'm still doing my work. But I see so many of us just creating these really harmful relationships because, you know, we actually haven't done the work to be in relationship to to the suffering you know we're, we're still we're still nowhere near what it means to have this radical acceptance of ourselves right you know we you know we we can name ourselves all kinds of things i can be gay and queer and whatever we want to be right but we still there's still the shame there you know and until we work with that hold space for it we're just going to keep reproducing trauma for ourselves and our partners and our communities you know, I think that's like, you know, we just we talk about, you know, who we choose as partners and lovers, you know, and and for a lot of, you know, black, gay, and queer men, it's like, you know, sometimes we we struggle to be in a relationship with other black, gay and queer men because it's like we get the trauma gets reflected back to us. You know? It's like we're not in a relationship with the person we're in relationship with the trauma and that that can be overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think that has shown up in my own life. And even when it comes to experiences, um, like you said, in the book of non-monogamous relationships and finding out what works for you and how to be in radical acceptance of yourself and someone else, and realizing that sometimes your needs may not be met with this one person, but not committing this act of violence against one another, is finding the softness and communication and acceptance of uh, of what that is and I find that and I find that true in my own life where sometimes I see my trauma show up and I have that space to make a choice. Mm-hmm. and before I got in therapy, I was zero to a hundred you know and now might be zero to 50 and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm still doing my own internal work, but that yeah. that piece of it as well opened my mind because um, having a conversation as well with some of my Black gay friends, it's like a lot of us can have sexual relationships, but once it comes to that tricky word that we say, love or partnership or showing up, it's like yeah. now all of our traumas are mirrored back at us, and sometimes yeah. we don't know how to how to how to handle it and have yeah. those, and so in using. Um, What you have in your book when it comes to um, this embodiment that you talk about of being liberated in your own body and experiencing Mm -hmm. sex as pleasure and reducing violence um, with one another. Mm -hmm. I thought that was absolutely incredible how you you left the monastery you said for three years and now you enter the world of hookup apps and that you are like (laughs) that you are uh, not want to say in love, but you enjoy them. Yeah, very much. I don't. I really don't. But 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 can you just let people know why you enjoy them and your experience? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. You know, I yeah, I still enjoy them. (laughs) Um, And you have to understand. You know, I went into retreat um, uh, 2008. I came out middle of 2011, right. And so in that situation, we're not. We don't get technology. Like you don't do internet. You don't do TV. Right. You don't visit. People don't come and visit you. You know you're secluded. Like you're 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 in a cloister from the world. Like you get basic news. You know, right? Like Obama was elected president. I knew that, right? Um a couple like I think Michael Jackson died <laughs> when I was entering. so you so you get that. Like, you know, and you get letters from friends and family. So you get basic stuff, right? So but like we didn't get like a technology update, <laughs> you know? So I come out of retreat, you know, and then smartphones become a thing. You know, before I went into retreat, no one had an iPhone. Like an iPhone, it was like the first generation of iPhones. You had to be wealthy or important. You know, I was neither. You know, and so, but when I came out, people had them, you know? And then the first thing my gay friends showed me, was like, oh, we have hookup apps now. And, like, first of all, I had no idea how it worked. I thought, like, somehow the government had planted chips inside our brains, which was broadcasting our sexualities around, you know? And I was just like, what's happened? You know, my friends were like, no. (laughs) You know, you get a phone, you download this app, and then it's just a GPS. Like, you just get, you know, you sign up and people can see where you're at. I was like, oh, okay, you know? And so... I started working with and getting into it. And yeah, like I, I've i definitely been hurt by the technology The technology has been really difficult, but at the same time, it's created the space for me to be a part of a broader community, you know, as someone who like doesn't always get to go out and be in, in spaces, you know, and be in traditionally queer spaces, like it has helped me to create, connections and communities with people that I wouldn't have normally been able to do, you know, before. And it's helped me work through a lot of shame and boundaries, you know, it's helped me to understand, you know, again, what boundaries are, you know, even in this kind of virtual space, right. You know, um, I've seen the worst and I've seen the best, you know, but (laughs) I, I still think it's important, you know, as important as someone who grew up, who felt isolated without this technology mm-hmm. you know, in the world?
0: I, I I agree with that aspect of it. Yeah. I have built community with hookup apps, and I have met incredible people. And I have um, now intentionally moving forward, wanted to reduce violence that comes with the descriptors and and narrowing people down by certain physical characteristics. Uh, when it comes to it. But like you say, community, you need to go where you're loved and you're wanted and accepted. And, and I've encountered a lot of community there and and built communities uh, with some of my projects uh, with hookup apps. So I don't particularly enjoy them, but, but I get the point and they're useful, especially now um, in quarantine. Um, But as, (laughs) but in terms of Self-care um, as well. One of, one of my self-care things is therapy. But I always tell people that therapy may not be for everyone. Um, and therapy is not necessarily meant for an extended period of time, right? Um, but what I find useful with therapy is it has given me tools and it gives me um, a non-biased ear, you know, to kind of let it land in things that I don't feel vulnerable and and comfortable with, maybe talking to my my parents or my friends, or even, you know, like what I would consider to be my my best friends, right? Um, So what was your experience in therapy? Are you still in therapy? I couldn't...
1: I'm not, no, I'm not in therapy currently, you know, but as I was beginning a broader coming out experience, I was in therapy um, for a bit. And for me, therapy, my relationship to therapy is that you're, you have someone who's specifically there to do emotional labor for you, <laughs> you know? Instead of us cornering our friends and our lovers and our family, right, like, and forcing them to do labor for us, we have this space with boundaries, you know, and time limits where we enter into emotional labor. Right, someone's helping us do emotional labor and we're still doing it for ourselves, you know? And that space is probably the first time many of us have actually experienced, you know, like having someone who was just solely dedicated to our liberation in that moment, you know? And I absolutely, you know, agree with you. It's just that, yeah, therapy isn't for everyone, but I think a majority of people would benefit (laughs) from, from, any any period of therapy I've had um, in relationships, I've, relationships I've been in in the past, I've had lovers, you know, and partners where I have felt the level of emotional labor was just really it was too much for our relationship, and I've actually asked partners to seek out therapy, or we can't continue, mm. you know. Um, like, I'm just curious. What does it look like? How does that show up? because mm. mm-hmm. well, it's you no know, I remember I remember one partner specifically a couple of years ago where you know, we were always together and it just became this really intense, you no know, kind of space of unpacking all of the stuff. And I knew, I knew what his resources were. I knew what he was connected to and the communities he was a part of. You know, and I was like, one day, one night, I was like, listen, (laughs) you know, like, I can't hold this, you know, because this is actually becoming work for me. You know, that's exactly what I told him. I was like, this is becoming a lot of work. I know that, like, I do this professionally, but in this relationship, I'm not trying to be a professional with you. Like, I have needs that I need met, you know, and I'm trying to do this in a way that's, you know, less violent and less harmful so I need you to think about ways that you can get connected to 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 some professional support you know and just saying that like I think you will benefit from that quite a bit and he did you know and it was like transformative for right. our relationship you know I'm not saying that like when you're with me I'm not gonna do any emotional labor but there's a line that we cross you and know
0: knowing it yeah yeah.
1: yeah. You know, I just, you know, one thing that I talk about all the time is you have to figure out what your work is, you know, and I think that some of us are doing other people's work more than we're doing our personal work in relationships, you know, Um, until we figure out what those boundaries are, I think one of the things that we'll experience is just a lot, we start getting resentful. I think, when we're doing other people's work and taking on too much of that, I think, and that begins to disrupt the relationship. You know? you know, and you mentioned, you know, how do we enter into sexual relationships where it's like reducing violence, but you're still having a lot of fun. Boundaries are a part of that, mm. you know? It's like saying that, yeah, I love you. I want you to be free. I don't want you to suffer, you know, but for that to happen, I have to articulate what I need in terms of boundaries you know, as well, and that's how we start reducing harm. And so when I go into the the apps, right, I bring that whole set of boundaries with me, you know, it's, it's not just about hooking up, right, and getting off, it's about actually entering into a collaboration with someone where it may be, we may not even know each other's names, <laughs> right? And it just may be one time, but that doesn't mean that we are not, that we shouldn't have this conversation about what you need and what I need. And let's figure out how to get this need met in whatever amount of time that we have together. You know? And that's it. You know, as so many of us have had hookups, these like one time things where we just walk away hurt. You walk away feeling used or raised or you know being subjected, objectified. Yeah. And that's just reproducing harm, you know? So before I even get there, it's like, I want to do more than, we need to have some emotional connectivity, you know? But so many of us, because of the trauma, actually don't know how to connect and link through um, the hurt, the trauma. And so trauma becomes like another partner. In the experience that's functioning in this really invisible way, but it's still really powerful and influential. Oh my God,
0: I wish we had so much more time and I'm very appreciative of the time that we have right now. So I would just ask really quickly mm-hmm. uh, or before, before we get out here, cause I wanna be respectful of your time. Um, besides therapy, what other uh, forms of self-care uh, for people that may not, uh, that may not be their tool of choice that they can do?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. You need, so the question that I like to ask myself, this is the heart of my self-care. And when I, when I talk about self-care, I am being influenced by Mother Audrey Lloyd's work around care, right? Where she says that self-care isn't self-indulgence. You know, so you need to be very clear. It's not about being self-indulgent, it's about self, you know, it, it's, it's self-preservation. And we have to see that self-preservation for ourselves and our communities as political warfare. So my self-care is about disrupting systems of violence. You know. Um, so having said that, one of the most important questions we need to ask ourselves is what do we need? Like, what do we need? in every second, every situation, everything that comes up, take a, take a second and say, okay, what do I need in this moment? You know, we don't know how to ask that question. And when we do try to, ask, try to answer that question, a lot of guilt comes up, you know, that that need reveals quite a bit of who and what we are, you know. Um, but again, like if you're talking about, you know, those of us who are male-centered and male-performing, you know, it's our needs may sit outside of what has been prescribed by patriarchy or even by Blackness. <laughs> you know?
0: We didn't even get to touch on that. I'm I mean <laughs> no questions about blackness and yeah. uh the black church and all of those that I got. But um, like I say, in respect of your time, I want to make sure that people know that they can pick up your book, Love yeah. and Page: The Path of Liberation Through Anger, wherever books are sold, uh, give it as a Christmas gift. It's not too late to send it to people or pick it up anytime in the new year. It's a great, great, great book. And it gives you practices as well um, in your own life to get you started on the path of liberation. So I just want to ask as well, uh, before
1: we get out of here,
0: any last words that you want to leave with the people about self-care healing? where we can find you how we can support you
1: yeah absolutely um i am you know, like i said i'm here in atlanta now um you can um you know get at me through my website lamarad.com twitter lamarad1 um i'm on um, instagram at lamaradolens um and i do a bunch of programs online um you know currently you know until this pandemic passes Um, you can get my book anywhere, particularly any venue online. Um, you know, and just you know, just and lastly about self-care, it's like, you know, you we won't make it through this time until we learn until we learn how to care for ourselves. Caring for myself is what I draw from to care for my community. If there's no self-care, I can't authentically care for my community. I can't care for you know, the Black queer communities and other communities I'm a part of. We won't, there's no such thing. I can't do for you what I'm not doing for myself.
0: We must drink as we pour. That's uh, right. Ah, oh, that quote got me. It got mm-hmm. me. So oh, Thank you so much. This is our last show of 2020. Thank you so much for joining us live. I thought this was the perfect way and the perfect conversation to end the year um, here. So to everyone that joined and watched and will watch this video, please, please, please be safe out there. Uh, Remember the quote, we must drink as we pour to take care of ourselves and make sure we can take care of our community as Lamarad Owens just said. Um, Follow all our social media at CNP Tribe. Leave us comments as well too. And to this entire, team behind me. I just want to shout them out and give them a great thank you for an awesome year as they tell me to wrap up. But thank you so much, Johnny Ray Cornegay. Thank you, Alvin Agarat. Thank you, Stefan. Thank you, Dennis Hardy. And Charles Stevens, the executive director of C&P Tribe. Thank you so much to everyone. Be safe. Happy holidays. And until next time, uh, be good to yourself.